is a dance Keeping it on till it is stay strong Rolling till the night time blazes on All along I keep singing my song I say, this phase is always Sometimes I get so crazy But just know that I always stay Cause you're my light through the haze It's time for a champion Through the soul of the land Spend the heart from the sea and sand What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 54 of The Locker Room, brought to you by our friends at Manscaped. Manscaped is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Go to manscaped.com and get 20% off plus free shipping with our code LACA. That's 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com with code LACA. Your balls will thank you, I promise. And I know you guys don't have my girlfriend on Snapchat, but Ellie this past weekend was recording me shaving my balls with my beautiful lawnmower 3.0. I know you guys wish you could have seen that, but uh, I actually told her to story it. That would have been kind of funny. It would have been a great ad. Just me naked in the shower shaving my balls. But um, oh, thank, thank God she didn't, God. I guess, for the general public. But I know we got some stuff to catch up on. Cappy, you're in Texas now, so I'll just send it over to you. How's Texas been? What's going on? Yeehaw, yeehaw, boys. First off, before I get into Texas, that's just like the difference. Like, Court and I have been dating for eight years. You and Ellie, I don't even know how long, but like, I'm not going to, Court would never film me shaving my balls. Like, that's just not going to happen. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Yeah, Texas. Um, Are you jealous, Lazzie? I'm going to go down to Wichita Falls, see everybody. Um, yeah, I am. Go to Gypsy Kit. Yeah, I know. Right. I should. Oh my God, dude. I completely forgot. I got to see if that's still open, but um, it, it's going really well, dude. I've been up here for like three days now. The apartment's really nice. I just love being in Texas, dude. I mean, you know how it is here. The winters aren't that bad. It's nice and chilly, but it's not too, it's not too terrible. Sun's out, guns out. And obviously not my guns. Cause I have none. Speaking of guns though, how we doing Maxi? I'm doing well, <laughs> fellas. I'm uh, before we hopped on here, uh, I was talking to Cappy. Cappy's getting me a, a hockey jersey. It'll be my first one. Um, so I'm pretty pretty pumped. Also, found out that um, do you know this company called Big Dog? No, what's that? So it's Big Dog was Big Dog. Big Dog. Big Dog. Oh no, I thought you said Bird Dog, like the shorts. Oh no, 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 no. I love Bird Dog. Yeah, everyone, everyone loves Bird Dog. Big Dog. It's like Tommy Bahama. But like parody and everything's with dogs. I don't know. It was a store right by camp whenever we drove up. Found out they're having like a huge sale online. I'm about to spend way too much money on, on these clothes before. I think they're going out of business or something. I'm going nuts. Can you send you us know? the link to the website? Absolutely. It's great. You guys are you guys are gonna love some of the some of the shirts. Is this a free I mean, ad? I'm down. I'm no, it, well, yeah, you know what? It is a free ad. They're going out of business. <laughs> Might as well start just pumping it out. Help them. I mean, I'm in, I, I do love me some dogs, some doggies. Uh, I don't know how many shirts I'll grab because I don't want to get be like people to think like, oh, this guy's all right, a little too obsessed with dogs. No, but. no, no. It's it. I might have described it a little bit too doggy. It's not like that. It's not like oh, uh, here's my dog laying on a couch type thing. It's uh, it's funny. It's like parody. Well, Maxi, speaking of dogs, <laughs> let's let's just get into it right away, dude. Jared dog, Porter. You got no, J- Jared Porter, dude. Oh that's my good. god! What's good with that? That's not even a dog. That's that's like a vulture. Yeah, it's a fucked up dude. That's, that's what it is. You know, hear about this? No, I have no idea what you guys are talking about right now. All right. So basically, this is exactly why we can't have nice things. So the Mets, <laughs> the second you think everything's going to get better, something you you knew something bad was going to happen, and basically, their their new GM, who was their GM for about seven days 
a report was released. He sent 62 unanswered text messages, including an unsolicited dick pic to a female reporter that was in the baseball industry. And the texts were released. It is the most cringy and yeah, I, like I'm at a loss of words. I, I just texted my brother right after. And I was like, he's gone. Like he should have been gone yeah. two hours ago. Yeah. Cappy, you wow. didn't hear about this? I wow, guess you're not. Wow, a, wow. You're not a New York sports uh, or baseball guy, I guess. But no, but still, I usually, I mean, I, I, I follow like all like the major accounts. Like I should have seen it. I mean, I was also traveling on the road for two days. I wasn't like mm-hmm. on my phone probably when it happened and probably like missed that like Twitter feed kind of thing. But like, dude, holy shit. Yeah, this guy's super fucked up. Oh, man. It's. And the other thing is there was, there was a poll on Twitter that said that literally pulled like all the creepy, creepy stuff he did. What's like the creepiest. And think about this. If you're trying to shoot your shot with someone and she doesn't answer after maybe like two texts and no response, usually you just give up and you're like, this fucking sucks. I'm going to go hang out with the boys. He sent 62 unanswered text messages. No, honestly, Honestly, we should we should like send the story to Lindsay Metzler and have her break it down, like from a girl's perspective. And let's find out what uh what his his like what's the astrology? Type yeah, thing? astrology. Let's find out his yeah, signs. Yeah, we'll I'll look up his uh yeah, his look birthday. Look up, yeah, honestly, damn, I don't want to find out like he has the same horoscope as I do. Like that would be. Whoo. <laughs> Is that something you see yourself doing in the future? <laughs> Fuck no! Are you crazy? No. <laughs> You know, you know, these horoscopes. Um, all right. But enough of Jared Porter. We had some amazing NFL football playoff games last weekend. Um, I mean, classic Buffalo Ravens, classic Brady Breeze. Breeze probably retiring now. But besides that, um, I went 4-0. The record stands me 6-4, and four, last 6-4. and four. Maxie at the top of the leaderboard, 7-3, and three, going into some crazy games this weekend. But let's just get right into it. But we got some big games coming up this weekend at Tampa Bay and Green Bay. We also got Buffalo and Kansas City. The line is three across the board. Tampa Bay is plus 153. Green Bay is minus 173. Who you guys got in that game? The Battle of the Bays. Um, uh, Raji, discount double check. Let's go. I they agree. win by 14. I'll take Packers, money line, Packers spread. Easy win. Yeah. I mean, it's it's such a it's such a good like it's such a good bet, and like obviously I have Tampa to win it. You guys know that, so I'm 100 percent going with Tampa. But Green Bay looks unstoppable, dude. I mean, Devontae Adams just shit on Ramsey last week. That just shows like I feel like he's gonna go off like three touchdowns. Are you gonna bet Tampa though, or are you are you just saying Tampa fight the podcast purpose? Am I gonna bet Tampa? Yeah. Oh, I'm gonna bet Tampa because you I are? have them. Yeah, I'm gonna bet Tampa because I I said on the podcast that I have them in the Super Bowl. And so I'm not going to go back on that. So yeah, once I'm like set on something, I'm all in on them. Like if I'm going to bet, I'm not going to bet on green Bay. I hate to like bet against Tom Brady, but I don't think there's any chance that Tampa goes into green Bay and wins. You don't think it's close. You don't, you don't see it being close. either of you. I don't see it being close to be honest. No, this this happens too often. And obviously we need to get a stat check on this, but there's so many times when teams that play in the regular season, they lose um, or even get blown out, then they meet in the playoffs and they just smack that ass. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but 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 the thing is, is the lines go back and forth so much, and like, sorry, not the lines, like the um, like the projections, I guess you should say, because like everybody was saying, like, oh, the Saints beat the Bucks like two times in the regular season, and the amount of times that they've met three times, it was like 
not eight out of 10 times the, the teams won three in a row and then the bucks win. So, but so you really never know, but just Aaron Rodgers year. I know dude, he's all oh, comes so down to good. but, yeah. but let's get into the next game. We got the bills and the chiefs Mahomes not playing. Is that confirmed yet? No, I don't I think so. Announced, but I already put a bet in already. What'd you put? Okay, so, so it's not, so it's not confirmed. No. Okay. So it's not confirmed, but the line is three. Um, bills are getting plus one twenty five. Chiefs are getting minus one forty five. Um, I mean, I got the Chiefs. Maxi, I heard you over there. I got the Chiefs with or without Mahomes. I have the Chiefs. Really? The bet I placed, I put a solid amount on the Bills already money line because Mahomes hasn't been ruled out, and I think they have a chance if Mahomes plays. And if he doesn't, that line's going to change drastically. So I'd like to get in now and. And even if it's like a 20% chance that Mahomes doesn't play, I'd like to, you know, I'll still take those odds. Yeah. However, um, I'm taking the Chiefs because I don't think there's – he's playing. Like, he's got to play, right? I mean, it just contradicted everything I just said. But the like, in the podcast, in the podcast bet? Or the, I'm going to take the Chiefs here, but I do – I have money on the Bills. Okay. Because, like, I took them now. Now, Max, if Mahomes, if, is, out. If Mahomes is out, is, are, are you changing your podcast bet? Yes. So no Mahomes Bills. Okay. I'm doing the same thing. No Mahomes Bills, Mahomes Chiefs. But Max, I think your argument's also like, dude, imagine how much that spread will change if Mahomes is playing. I don't think it would change that much. I think, you don't think that, so? that line I, I think it goes to at least one, plus one seventy five. For home field advantage, it's three points, but this year it's different. So I'd assume maybe it's like one point. I think it'll go to four and a half and then it'll be plus one seventy five. Well, here's the thing is um even if Mahomes does play, I'll tell you right now that they are not going to release that news until the morning of the game so that all the lines are fucked and then bang. That's right, true. but Laz, Laz, you're looking at it as in, like, there's two sides to it. Some people can be like, oh, I'm going to bet Chiefs now banking on Mahomes to play. But I'm saying I like the Bills at uh, minus three because, or the money line it is now, because if – Mahomes doesn't play, that line changes well, drastically. Yeah. They'll they might even be the favorite minus money. Yeah. Right. They would be. Yeah. No. Well, I'll I, tell you I, what, I'm pretty I'm pretty I'm, I'm I'm pretty excited that you guys took those bets because as the this it stands, like the six and four, six and four, seven and three, I hope Mahomes doesn't play because then gives me a shot to win the podcast thing. See, lads, you gotta play strategic. You have the same bets as Maxi. There's no shot of you winning this thing. But we'll we'll have the Super Bowl still so I, I can catch him maybe. Oh yeah, true, true. You still got the soup. Still got the soupsies. You're right. Well, soupsies. actually, between between <laughs> I us love three the soupsies. <laughs> between us three and the snapback boys, only three people are left are are still left in. Yeah. On and a final nice. note, though, I do wanna I do wanna say like I'm I'm happy. Or final note on this topic, I should say I'm I'm happy to not see some of Jack's Ravens tweets for a little bit. Um, that'll be nice. Sorry. Jay. <laughs> yeah, that was that was <laughs> that was too much. Easiest over of all time for the Bagels and Locks. Let's just get into that. I mean, I don't know if you guys have seen it, everyone listening, but we partnered with Bagel Boss. I mean, we've been partnered with Bagel Boss, but now once a week we'll be posting a Bagels and Locks kind of thing on our social media where we'll make up our own props or our own lines just to have some fun and give you guys a chance to win some free bagels. It's just a fun thing that we decided to do, and I think it's an awesome way to just engage with you guys and our listeners and also a safe way to gamble. No money down. No money down. Just a lot of carbs if you win. Yeah, you know, yeah. dude. I've been I've been itching for this these uh, dozen bagels. I need them to get sent up to Allen. So I'm gonna be locked in this weekend trying to get them. 
Max, you'll love this. I got to give a shout out to the first winner, my friend Adam Hornick. Hornick commented on the first Bagels and Locks post with Barzal and uh, Jokic to get a triple-double and the Nuggets to cover. And our mutual friend Zach Monison replied to Hornick, took the, like, took the Warriors, and he's like, I've never been more confident in this Warriors bet knowing Hornick bet the Nuggets. And it kind of <laughs> went back in Zach's face because Hornick ended up winning. But uh, that's just some funny stuff. But you definitely aren't mush. Um, yes, I am. But yes. You are mush, honestly. Guys, I'm extremely excited this weekend, even though I will not be able to watch most likely. Actually, wait, no, Abu Dhabi. No, I'm not going to be able to watch, boys, because I will be playing Saturday night. But the McGregor fight is this weekend. Um, what time is it at? I, it's, dude, it's like Abu Dhabi. So there was a huge UFC card this past weekend with Max Holloway, who was an absolute animal. I don't know if you guys saw any highlights from that oh, fight. Oh, yeah, I, I saw that. That was the cockiest, coolest yes. thing I've ever seen. Yeah, where he was just literally – Johnny, did you see? No, I didn't see it. Okay, so Max Holloway, um, who is one of the best UFC fighters um, in the world, literally was dominating this fight, and he was uh, looking at the commentating booth, looking at the commentators, screaming at them, wall saying, I'm the best fucking striker in the UFC, like over and over again. Wall, he just, boom, just slocking the other guy. <laughs> Crazy. Um, but yes. Um, the thing that Abu I like the most. Sorry, go ahead, Max. The that, yeah, the thing that I like, I like the most from him, was he was dodging the guy without his hands up. Yeah. Like that was that's pretty badass. Yeah. And I, I don't know if you knew this. I don't know if you knew this too, Max. He doesn't like he's one of the few fighters that doesn't spar before his fights. Like so he does not do any sparring with any other fighters just so he doesn't take shots. And I guess he started doing that after his he said after one of his losses like a few years ago. But like everybody finds that so crazy and then he goes in and just dominates every night and pr- improves it wrong. It's crazy. Everyone's got their own method, and and I guess uh, Jake Paul's wrong. He doesn't need to spar and uh, and post about it all the time. I know you hate him. That's why I brought it yeah, up. No, fuck that. <laughs> um, fuck that guy. Um, McGregor. No. So the McGregor fight this weekend. Um, Abu Dhabi time. So it'll probably start like six, like five, six o'clock, dude. It's like very weird times unless they're changing it up. Um, so that's gonna be amazing. I'm looking forward to it. I was talking to my boy Corey Mackin, who is actually on my team, and Alan, who was my captain at Ferris State. Um, like we're like, dude, McGregor's fighting this weekend. The last time the McGregor fight happened, and I talked about this in the podcast a while ago, um, was when we had that huge McGregor Mayweather party at Ferris State, and we were it was just unbelievable. And we were just charging guys at the door fifteen dollars to get in. They couldn't stand. It was unbelievable. It was just like reminiscing about that time. Um, pretty cool shit. So I hope McGregor dominates. He's of course the favorite. Dustin Poirier though, do not sleep on Dustin Poirier who he's fighting. Do I, think not. Gonna, I think I'm going to take the other guy. <laughs> I hate you, Max. <laughs> other than that, I think it's time for my favorite segment, everybody's favorite segment, Oi Vey. I guess I'll start because you guys just love when Cappy starts these things off. <laughs> so <laughs> my Oi Vey of the week, dude, I was just doing my normal just scatting scandering through twitter scandering through social media and i came across this article and it was melania trump so she had two twitter accounts i read this article she had two twitter accounts or sorry one twitter account at first and then she got so much like i guess hate mail and so much hate through it that she started another one and she put out a tweet on her old one and said asking people to follow her 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 account and dude every comment on it i just scrolling through this article is just nope sorry not gonna follow you nope not gonna happen nope sorry <laughs> dude 
I was just in tears and I'm like not a political person at all or anything like that, but I'm just like, dude, this is, this lady probably just took so much shit from just Trump being in office. And like, even though she didn't really do much either do anything as a first lady, I'm not a politician. I'm not a political at all, but I just found it so funny that all these comments, everybody was like, no, fuck you. I'm not following you. I think we're forgetting about the actual, uh, another Oive in your story. Tell me if she created a second one because she was getting so much hate. Why would she post on the account that she's getting all the hate on to go follow her other account? Yeah, I know. Which if she wants a more normal life, if she's just going to bring on all the haters. To yeah, all life. the people that hate her on the old account. That's actually so true. I didn't even think about that, but um, I'll send you guys like I'll send you guys the article. I actually saved it, but um, and I sent it to court, but I was just like, I, I explained myself. I was I you know me. I'm the least political person ever. I just found it funny. Just like you I, said to Maxie, just for that reason, too. I think we should make a locker room burner. Just, locker room burner account. Just rip each other on it. Um, yeah, I'm down. Well, just like I don't need a burner account to rip you. So <laughs> keep my dick out of this. <laughs> you know what Laz Loki needs is a finsta. Why? Why? I, <laughs> I just do just everything like, in real life. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You just post Laz, all yeah. Laz is like one of the toughest people to embarrass. That's high praise. Yeah. That's high praise. Yeah, Laz embarrassed me last year when we played him. I was wearing this, uh, these tight pants with my oh Robert Morris uniform, and Laz <laughs> just gave it to me in front of my coach. And then I had to go back on the bus, and my coach actually finally noticed how tight my pants were, and I was getting shit <laughs> the rest of the fucking day. They gave him, like, a kid's large jogger. He was wearing, like, like tighter than tights. That was so funny. Laz was just looking at my bulge. Why are you sending us TikToks, Max? No, just watch it after. It's, okay. it's one of the funniest TikToks. Okay, well, go into it's your political. Oive. Go into your Oive. All right, so my Oive was uh, a few days ago. I went to Starbucks to pick up a coffee for me and my dad. I forgot my mask, but I was wearing a winter coat of which can like really zip up high on your face. So, Canada Goose? No, it was uh, <laughs> like a... Uh, what face? North, yeah, I was about to set, call it North Star. Uh, no, North Face. <laughs> um, so I go in and I'm able to order. Keep in mind, I have this zipped up, so it's cover, it's here down. So all you see is really my eyes. And I was able to order. And as I'm waiting, one of the baristas come, comes up to me and says, uh, you don't have a mask on. You have to wait outside. And I said, no, I'm covering my, my nose and mouth. Does this not count as a mask? She's like, no. So I got a little frustrated, but I also kind of know like they deal with a lot of shit. I'll just yeah. go and wait outside. And the entire time I'm thinking, it's like, does this not count as a mask? If you have something covering your nose and mouth, like does it need to be a physical, like in what, you, what is like considered a mask? Yeah. As long as it's covering so. your nose and mouth, like you see NFL players and baseball players have that like little scarf that they can get on their neck and push yeah. up. Dude, honestly, it's it, Max. It literally depends. On, it's, it's and you could attest to that. You guys have both tested this. I I've had literally similar situations like that have happened literally at almost every other day. It just depends on like I feel like the place and the person and their like style or their like rules. Because I've walked in the gas station and people literally are walking around with no mask on, and then like they don't. Nobody says anything. They go to the rest and register. They're like, "Sir, where's your mask?" And they're like, "Oh, sorry, I forgot." And they still go along with their order. You know what I mean? Mm. So I, it just depends. But that's so annoying, dude, because you, you know it 100% happens every day with like somebody else. Right. But it, but like I knew I didn't have a mask and I went out of my way to put on this. I had my big coat over my nose, which Whoa. realistically, 
Let me stop you there. What do you mean you went out of your way? You were probably already wearing the coat and you realized that you're right. You didn't go, you didn't go out of your way to go grab the coat. Right. <laughs> but there's a, there's a, like, yeah, that's fair. Um, but, but here's, here's the thing. Um, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, I'm, I just mentally fucked um, you. <laughs> no, I'm still here. I went uh, out of the way to zip my coat up. <laughs> no, but think about it. If you have that on, there's no, like literally no air is coming out. I was, yeah. I was sweating. And <laughs> you look at these other masks, there's so many holes in it. I honestly thought the way I had my, my jacket over my nose was almost better than a mask. Yeah, just the way, just the way you said that cracked me up. Yeah. Like, like I went out of, out of my way to go grab this coat. Why not go grab the fucking mask if you're grabbing a coat? Well, it wasn't that. I was in the car and realized I, I, know. I, a mask. I know. Why don't you get another burrito, Todd? <laughs> Johnny, what do you got for us? Oh my God, that's good stuff. So I actually want to start off mine with a question. Like we talk about gambling on here a lot. Do your parents like know you guys bet? Um, I mean, my mom knows I'm a de- I'm kind of a degenerate, yeah. Maxie? Kind of. So, I mean, we talk about this every episode and, and, and my mom, like, like obviously I gamble every now and then. I'm not like, you know, looking at my phone every hour of the day, like betting on European soccer or Russian basketball. But yeah, I, put a, I put a bet on the Knicks last week and the Knicks were losing. And my mom was like, oh, how much you bet on this game? And I was like, oh, just a little bit, whatever. And she started getting like literally ripped into me for 20 minutes about gambling and all this stuff. And then my dad's like, why are you yelling about gambling? It's not bad that he gambled. It's bad that he fucking bet on the Knicks. Like what a <laughs> fucking idiot. But, but my mom, the week before, the week before though, my mom's like raving and ranting about how our family friend who's a freshman in college put like 150 on a parlay on FanDuel and won 130K. And she's like, oh my God, like that's so cool that he did that. I was like, a week ago, you're talking about how awesome gambling is because he won, you know, so much money. But I, God forbid, bet 25 to 50 bucks on the Knicks and I'm the worst fucking child on the planet. Did your mom not know you gambled? No, she that? does. She does. But like, I definitely, I mean, not follow the podcast. <laughs> no, she's going to listen to this too. And, and like, I definitely do. And I hide it, but I also like, I like, I guess full disclosure when I had COVID, I was just literally gambling on everything for 10 straight days. Yeah. Like, you said you said anything on TV. I was betting on it. And I, and I like lost just like a lot of money. So I was like freaking out about money. And I like, and she like, I guess was like, you're a fucking idiot. Like never do that again. Like, why are you doing that? But I've made some more money like working and stuff since then. And, I'm I'm never gonna like fully quit. I think I'm just like smarter about it. But I was also like just trapped in my room for ten days alone. But my day basically is one week. My mom's like, "Oh my god, it's so cool that he gambled and won so much money." The next week, you're a fucking idiot. Why? You know, just how mothers work, I guess. Your mother. So, to, be, to be fair, you you want to know what gambling is, and this is how I look. And I, I don't I don't. There's like a certain amount that I'll allow myself to go down in a week. Mm-hmm. You're basically paying for a sporting event because like paying for a ticket to go and like watch a game the thrill it's fun you do it with friends whatever if you do it every day obviously that's that's a different story but if you wait for like a big weekend and you do it for like we just talked about the nfc and afc championship games mm-hmm. yeah you go down 100 bucks you got a cheap ticket well i was gonna say it's kind of like that except we have season tickets for every team in every league exactly <laughs> better yeah. exactly we get to go to As- every d1 basketball game every nba game guys let me take a second to talk about one of our amazing sponsors bagel boss when thinking about long island bagels there's no other place you want to think about besides bagel boss they're amazing i know you've seen our new bagel and locks on social media that's who we're partnered with these guys do it all kosher foods extravagant 
uh, bar mitzvahs. They cater everywhere out of state. It's not an issue. Um, go follow their website, bagelofthemonth.com to have everything shipped to you. And please use our code LOTKA10 for 10% off. That's LOTKA10 for 10% off. But before that, and before we get into the interview, I know Johnny wants to bring up something real quick. We haven't even said our guest yet, though, Eddie Portnoy, um, who we're super excited to share with you guys. But before we do that. And before you, you sorry, Johnny, before you do that, too, um, it's funny you, you mentioned that. I, I, it just popped in my mind. One of my buddies DM'd me and was like, oh, my, when, we, when you posted the boomerang, and was like, oh, my God, that's so cool. I'm like, oh, you know Eddie Portnoy? And he's like, no, I just figured that, Dave, that Dave's Portnoy's dad, no? <laughs> <laughs> that is funny. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not. But, but listen to the interview. You'll like it. <laughs> that, is, that is funny. Eddie's a great guy. But, um, yeah, I do want to go on a little heavier note here and share um, a very tragic story that happened this past weekend at the University of Florida. Um, five freshman girls were walking to a bar, and a drunk driver hit another car, and then I guess both cars kind of like flipped onto the sidewalk and hit them. Um, one girl, unfortunately, lost her life, Sophia Lambert, which will post a GoFundMe on our story today or tomorrow. Um, you know, if you guys can go donate. She's done a great thing with this thing called Camp Jenny. Um, you know, just anything we could do, obviously, to help the Jewish community in, in a tough time like this. You know, that's what we're all about. We want to, it's people helping people, Jews helping Jews. And there's also been four other girls who are in the hospital currently, Michelle, Sam, Lily, and Hope. Um, you know, this is just, it's, it's just crazy how, you know, these five innocent girls just walking to a bar, freshman girls in, in a sorority, you know, uh, DFIE at UF, and they're thinking, oh my God, like just a college night. And then, you know, this kind of shit happens. It's, it's terrible. And you know, we just want to send our love, our prayers, our thoughts to, to these five families. And, um, you know, if there's anything we could do to help, we're, we're more than happy. Yep, yeah, definitely. Yeah, well um, said. It's absolutely ridiculous to be drunk, uh, to be drinking and driving, especially with all this technology to prevent it, mm-hmm. like Uber, Lyft. Like it just so it's, it's terrible. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And and my thoughts and prayers go out to their to all their families. I know you guys do too. Um, and we hope that the, the girls in the hospital make a speedy, speedy recovery. But this interview with Eddie, we know you guys are going to extremely enjoy. We enjoyed it so much. We hope you guys like it. Let's do it. This guy grew up in Detroit and was bar mitzvahed at Sheree Sadiq. And I probably Sherit, watched that. Sherit Sadiq. Sherit Sadiq. But he's the author of the best-selling book called Bad Rabbi and Other Strange but True Stories from the Yiddish Press. And he's, a Yiddish Press, and he's an expert on Jewish popular culture. We're thrilled that he's here. It's already been so much fun talking to him before the recording. But welcome to the Locker Room Podcast, Eddie Portnoy. Eddie, how you doing? Thank you, guys. I'm good. I appreciate you coming, at, coming to us in your daughter's bedroom. Yeah, yeah, I didn't have to, you know, I didn't have to do anything. Well, I was gonna, say, I was gonna, say, I was gonna say, we just had uh, Dane Delegrio on, and he was at his hometown house, and he was in his bedroom. So this is kind of like a little uh, reminiscing action. I kind of like it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. That's I know. I mean, I, I, you know, there are people walking around my house, you know, dogs barking, kid, kids yelling. So uh, you know, I had to sequester myself in this small room. But, uh, but Eddie, I want to hop into the Yiddish stuff right away. I mean, Justin and I aren't like the most religious people. I mean, we're, you know, spiritual Jews, but did you learn Yiddish growing up from your dad? Like we did just having him call people schmucks on the road and the highway. Like, how did you originally <laughs> get into Yiddish? Because I feel like it's not a very common thing. 
you know? Right. It's, it's, it's not a common thing. Although, you know, obviously I'm much older than you, but uh, I mean, Yiddish, obviously, so, you know, you, you start off by saying you're not religious. You don't have to be religious to know Yiddish. Yiddish is, Yiddish was the language of, um, you know, most of, most of Eastern European Jews. And it's something they brought with them to America when they emigrated here, you know, from the, from the 1880s to the night to the 1920s, something like 2 million Jews, most of them Yiddish speaking came to the United States uh, from Eastern Europe. So my grandparents were part of that, you know, mass immigration. And so the reason I know Yiddish is because there are a couple of reasons. So when I was a kid, my grandparents were always my babysitters and Yiddish was their language. And that's what they always spoke. And they, you know, they had this immigrant sensibility, like their friends would come over, they would play cards, tell jokes, they tell stories. They were really kind of weird and funny. And mm -hmm. for whatever reason, I kind of liked that. And <laughs> so it was just something I was kind of into. Also, I hated Hebrew school. I hated <laughs> learning Hebrew. I hated the prayers. I hated everything about that. And so this was a way to sort of connect to Jewishness without all that stuff that I didn't like. Actually, just a quick aside, one of the best things I had going was, you know, between the ages of eight and 12, I played hockey and I got to miss at least one day a week of Hebrew school because for hockey wow. practice, which was so important to me. Um, you know, hockey, you know, it saves lives. I, I, <laughs> I think you know this. So, uh, so anyhow, so, you know, I had this thing for my grandparents, they spoke Yiddish. It was just, you know, quirky and funny. Um, you know, it was it, it, it like it was like this language that held all of this culture. And so also my dad, who was born in Detroit, uh, his first language was Yiddish. You know, his parents were immigrants. He grew up in this house with um, like it was like a house full of people like his like his parents, their parents, like aunts and uncles that weren't married yet. Um, you know, and he was the youngest. So he said that he didn't speak. English until he went to kindergarten in, in fifth grade or in fifth grade in uh, when he was five. And so, um, so Yiddish was a big part of his life. And so whenever he would get together with like his friends from the block, he, they would tell dirty jokes in Yiddish. Uh -huh. And so, and they would crack up. They would like laugh hysterically. When I was a kid, <laughs> I totally wanted in on that. I was like, wow, th th you know, this is really funny. You know, it's not like, like, I think that, you know, people's associations with Yiddish it's like it's either you know this old people's language or it's um like the language of Hasidim, like these ultra orthodox jews yeah and so you know these are two associations that don't really fit into the reality of what the language is like you know it once had like you know you know there were i mean obviously as far as media goes at the time you know there were all these daily newspapers in yiddish magazines you know there were you know there were sports magazines in yiddish you know, anything you can imagine, you know, theater, movies, whatever that existed in this language. And, you know, because, you know, on the, on the one hand, you have uh, Eastern European Jewry, which was, you know, destroyed in, in during the Holocaust. So all of those Yiddish speakers, you know, disappeared. They were all murdered. And in America, you had assimilation and acculturation where, you know, the, the goal was to become Americans and to learn English. And Yiddish was supposed to be a thing of the past. In fact, a lot of people were embarrassed about speaking Yiddish or having an accent in Yiddish. So just as an example, my grandmother, who had a Yiddish accent, used to say, I don't have an accent in Yiddish. I speak, I speak English perfectly. 
<laughs> and it was hilarious to hear that because like she just wanted to be American. She, you know, she didn't want to have, you know, these traces of the old world. So, um, you know, but, but like, as far as I was concerned, you know, I didn't have any of those associations. I thought it was cool because of, you know, my grandparents and, you know, dirty jokes my dad told with his friends. And so when I was in high school, um, my dad bought me this book on how to learn Yiddish. And I sort of taught myself to read and write. And it was just like kind of a hobby. And, you know, I maintained this hobby, you know, for many years. I went to college, you know, wasn't really interested in Jewish studies or history or it was always sort of interesting. It was sort of like, it was more like a hobby than, you know, something I actively took classes in. So I went to college, traveled for a few years, and then I wound up in New York. And uh, I wound up at a... Um, working at a small publishing company and the, I don't know, after like a year of working there, we had some project to publish some, some like old Yiddish newspapers with this organization called YIVO. Uh, YIVO is an acronym. It stands for Yiddish Wissenschaftliche Institute. It's like Jewish research Institute. Mm -hmm. So we had this project to, to you know, publish this Yiddish stuff. And the boss said to me, you know Yiddish, you're in charge of this project. So he gave me this project. I met with you know, the, the uh, people in charge of this organization to organize the thing. And when I met with them, I said, you know, I have this um, you know, longstanding hobby where I taught myself to read and write Yiddish. And they said, oh, well, we run this Yiddish summer program, this, you know, you can, this intensive language program. You might be really interested in that. So... I looked into it. I took a leave of absence from work to take this six week summer program. I totally fell in love with it. I applied uh, to grad school at Columbia the next fall. And uh, I went on and got a PhD in, in Jewish history. And uh, you know, I tell people that um, I turned a really fun hobby into a low paying career, uh, <laughs> but I really like it. Like it's like, you know, I like the research that I do and the, and the things that I find in Jewish and Yiddish culture are, are really unusual and just not, you know, the typical thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's crazy that you say that too, because I feel like growing up, I didn't really learn Yiddish. The only Yiddish I ever heard was like the dirty jokes or my dad, right. my mom saying, you know, Yiddish curse words or slangs or whatever, but I didn't even like know that there was a whole other Yiddish world basically, you know? Right. Right. Cause you're like, you're like a couple generations removed from the immigrant gen generations and so, you know, you just have sort of the remnants of that. Um, but there's like a whole crazy huge culture out there of, um, you know, of all this stuff that's really interesting. Uh, and, uh, you know, I try to dig it up um, as much as I can to try to and, and present it to, you know, a bigger audience. So that's kind of what my book is all about. Yeah. And on top of that, I also find it crazy how like there you, you can bump in the people who aren't Jewish and they come up to you and they're like, oh, you're Jewish. You must speak fluent Yiddish. And you're like, no, I actually don't. They're like, oh, can you, can, can you say hello? How are you in Jewish? And I'm like, you mean in, in Yiddish? Jewish. In, 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 <laughs> in Jewish. Actually, in Jewish. That, that's what my Yiddish means Jewish in yeah. Yiddish. So like my grandparents, when they would, they, when they were speaking English, they would, they would say, oh, he speaks Jewish. <laughs> like that's, that's, you know, how they referred to it. But, you know, it, it's uh, it's really funny. But yeah, so like, I mean, I don't know, people will expect you to speak this language, but I don't know, maybe like sometimes people expect, you know, Jews to speak Hebrew. 
and yeah, no, they know, just think they just think we're some like alien breed that we're just like oh or we got right. nice, we got to speak another language it's like ah no actually i did go to hebrew school i was bar mitzvah but i don't know like a yet fish right i mean i think that the vast majority of american jews you know you know even if they did go to hebrew school they don't speak hebrew you, no, know, they, you know, they, they know, you know, they know, <laughs> well, I, that's the thing I was telling Johnny beforehand is like when I used to go to Hebrew school for night services, I would just memorize all the prayers and that's how I knew everything. So like, I, I ended up like memorizing the mortars cottage, which isn't a good thing to memorize, but like, <laughs> that's just, that's, I, I was like getting the rabbi, the rabbi I was into it. It was great. But, um, I do want to get into another topic. You did mention you were hot. You, you played a little hockey growing up being from Detroit, obviously Laz and I big hockey guys. We love that. Um, so when did you realize, like, kind of like, what was the turning point where I was like, all right, fuck it. I can't, I can't play hockey anymore. And really drew you into like books and reading in, in the Jewish oh, culture. Well, so that was, I mean, book, I mean, the like serious academic study was much later. So, you know, when I was a kid, I played hockey because everybody played hockey. It was, you know, it's oh, Michigan, Michigan, of course it's Michigan. It's, you know, we're right next to Canada always watched hockey night in Canada. That was, you know, a standard thing. Red Wings were huge. You know, went to a lot of games when I was a kid. When I stopped playing hockey, I didn't get into another sport immediately. I was sort of more into um, Mad Magazine. I was really into monster movies, things like that. Like that's sort of what I got into. Um, I got really into rock and roll. Um, Just, you know, collecting records, buying records, learning about, you know, musicians things like that um that was what actually in a way if you think if, if i think about it and i have never really thought about it this way but that was rock and roll to a certain degree was sort of my first foray into doing research i mean at school of course like they try to make us do book reports and things but you couldn't do a, a book report on the who it wasn't like like that they didn't that wasn't a possibility like you had to do it on some topic that they you know fed you um, but like just on my own, I sort of, you know, researched as best I, best I could, um, you know, the bands that I liked. So in a way that, that, that was sort of my, the first time I, I really, you know, got into, uh, you know, some topic, you know, that was outside of school that I was just interested in. Um, but as far as sports go, the, the, the next sport that I really got into was skateboarding. Uh, I, I, in high school and I actually, I didn't really expect it. I didn't expect to talk about something like this, but in high, <laughs> well, in high school, I was basically like a skater punk. I you got the hair really, for it. Yeah, well, I was really into punk rock, and and skateboarding went hand in hand with punk rock. That was just a standard thing. So we used to go. Um, there was one skateboard park uh, near Detroit, and it was about forty-five minutes away away from from where I lived. And a couple of friends and I used to go like a couple times a week you know, to go skateboard on these ramps and these empty swimming pools. And like in the wintertime, there's a ton of snow there. So we would, uh, we would go sometimes with shovels to empty out the pool so we could skate. You know, we were, it was like, you know, you're obsessed with this sort of thing. Um, you know, like I'm sure you are with hockey, you know, when you like, it's all you want to do. So, you know, we were willing to like make the trek out to this place and, uh, you know, shovel snow, skate any, you know, night and day. It was, it was all we were really kind of interested in. And obviously, this isn't really connected to the Yiddish stuff, although I will that's say- okay. That, yeah, that's okay. No, no, no. But <laughs> I, I will say that, so the skate park we went to uh, was in a neighborhood that had no Jews at all. And the kids from that neighborhood uh, had never met any Jews. And so we, um, and it, it actually never came up. Like, initially, it, it, it didn't come up. It wasn't like something like, 
we talked about. Um, you know, we talked about skating, skating and punk rock. That was that was basically it. Uh, but one time, uh, someone was having a party, and it happened to be the night of Rosh Hashanah. And so I, um, you know, they invited it. Like we were at the skate park hanging out, and they said, "Oh, you know, the McCulloughs are having a party tonight. You should come." And I was like, "Oh, I can't. It's a holiday." And they were like, "It's a holiday." And I said, "Yeah, it's New Year's." Because obviously I knew they weren't going to know what Rush was. I was like, uh-huh. it's New Year's. And of course it's September. So the kid, was, the kid started cracking up. He's like, he's like, what, what are you talking about? It's not New Year's, it's September. And I was like, oh, it's, it's Jewish New Year's. And these kids, their jaws dropped. They had never met Jews before. And they were like, you're Jewish? And, you know, what's interesting is some of these kids stopped talking to us. Really? Yeah. Some of them like like one of them i remember every time he saw us from that point on would open a open open the conversation with an anti-semitic joke oh my goodness one of them i mean whatever this is michigan it's not you know yeah like and they, it was also no, back in the day yeah, yeah so um like one kid kind of became interested in it like he was like he started asking he immediately started asking questions he was like you know well what do you you know what do you do for jewish new years what is that and i said um we you know what yes we exactly right we drink a lot of tequila so I, I, you know i what i tried to explain to him, i was like you know it's it's no big deal we sort of have this kind of festive meal um you know we go to synagogue we light candles um he's like well what do you you know what do you eat at this meal and i was like uh well we usually start out with matzo ball soup and he was like what's that and i said well there's this uh sort of cow-like animal in eastern europe and uh, for this holiday, we eat its balls. <laughs> and he was like, no, no. How, how can you do that? And I was like, no, no, I'm just kidding. It's like, uh, but it was like, an <laughs> it was like, uh, you know, how, how often in life does someone not know what a matzo ball is? I honestly don't know what a matzo ball is. You just had me convinced that it was like cow balls. <laughs> You're joking. I, I swear to God, I've, I've actually have never known what a matzo ball is. I don't know how to explain it to anyone. I have no, like, I have no clue. You have you you had me convinced. You eat a deli? Yeah, I eat a deli all the time, but I don't ask what it is. Like I, I eat matzo ball soup. I just like never ask. Oh, okay. No, no, all right. So it's but it's obviously not meat. It's not, it's obviously yeah. the, the testicles of like a bull. But I'm very, I'm very uh gullible, so you could have easily had me convinced that I've been eating cow. <laughs> well, I should have I should have I should have gone on with that. Yeah, you really should have. You kind of blew it there. <laughs> but yeah, so that was you know, that was sort of like you know, my experiences growing up in Detroit, like what I did. And you mentioned hockey, but I've been following you on Twitter for a little bit, and I see you're tweeting about Arsenal. You haven't really mentioned soccer to us. So oh, no. So Ar- I hate Arsenal. Oh, you so, hate Arsenal. So yes. Tottenham. So, Tottenham? Yeah, yeah. Wait, what? Are you Tottenham, Tottenham. then? Oh, right. So, yeah, we're, we're Tottenham. So, uh, so Tottenham. I, I, I got All right. I had a good friend in high school who was from Peru, uh, and he was obsessed with soccer because, obviously, in South America, it's a religion. So he was the first person I ever met who was really into soccer. And he had taken uh, a trip to England in like 10th grade and he found Tottenham. And this is just by sheer coincidence. And he, he became really obsessed with Tottenham. Like that was the team he started to follow from England. And, you know, I was not something I thought about very much uh, because I was never, I mean, I played a little bit, but I was never that into it. But when I had uh, kids, both my kids played travel soccer uh, and were completely obsessed with it. And one day, I guess this was about, I don't know, 
10, 12 years ago, the local soccer shop like sent out an email saying we have um, players coming from this English team, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, to sign autographs. So if your if you think your kids will be interested in this, bring them along on such and such a day. So told my son and he was like, I don't know, eight, nine at the time. Uh, he said, we took him, he wanted to go. We took him. Uh, the three players uh, that they had there were really nice to all the kids. You know, they were really nice to my son. They signed autographs. They, you know, hung out, made a little joke, stuff like that. You know, my son walked away and he said, this is the team I'm supporting. You know, this is the team I'm going to follow. And from that time on, he was, became totally obsessed with this team. And uh, for his bar mitzvah, uh, we surprised him and took him to a Tottenham match in sick. London where they played Arsenal. That's sick. And ta- yeah, Tottenham and Arsenal are there like blood enemies. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like, he was like, you could never make a kid happier than this. Like it was, it was such a great present. And you soccer know, fans are crazy for the people that don't know. Like hockey fans, okay, but soccer fans are on another level. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's madness, and so and he's still into it. Like we, you know, we watched him play yesterday. It's uh, it's a big deal in this house. So uh, yeah, it's Tottenham is total total obsession. Also, interestingly, as far as the Jewish angle goes, Tottenham <laughs> is considered a Jewish team. How? Um, yeah, because in the 1920s and 30s, when there were a lot of uh, Jewish immigrants in London, somehow they latched on to Tottenham as their team. And in fact, the fans of Tottenham are called the Yids. <laughs> and and if you go to a game when a when a player comes on the on the field, the, the, all the fans start chanting, "Yido, Yido, <laughs> he's a Yido." It's it's like a it's really a, it's like a wild phenomenon. No way. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So like so the Tottenham is like they're known as the Yids, and one of the interesting issues involved with this. Is that because they're they're um, they're called the Yids because in the in the twenties and thirties when Jews first became fans of these of this team, it was the opposing team's fans that started to call them the Yids, and they did it in a derogatory way. But the fans of Tottenham, even the fans who weren't Jewish, and the, the most of the fans aren't Jewish, they took it on as a point of pride. They said, if you, you know, if you're going to call us the Yids, we're going to take that on. We take on that identity. And so even like Gentiles, you know, people, you know, Tottenham fans who aren't Jewish, they have tattoos that say Yid, you know, and, and they'll have like Star of David tattoos there. You know, they, it's, it's really it's a really fascinating phenomenon. No, I was just gonna say, I, f- I feel like I'm sitting in like a college lecture. I, you should, like, you were, I re- no, like, but 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 seriously, I feel like I, sh- I should be taking notes. Like, I'm learning so much just from you know talking to you for 20 minutes. I yeah, mean, I'm the biggest talking about that, baby. Yeah, well, like even just like uh like a Jewish sports culture course in college, that'd be I would have taken that. I would say. Right, I know. So that so this is an interesting problem. They could have classes like this. Yeah, but they don't, and the reason they don't is that the vast majority of academics are just not interested in this stuff. Sorry, I find it extremely interesting. Like, no, no, I know. I, I, went, to, I went to Catholic school for a year and, and I, I, was, I was forced to take a religion course, but I had the most amazing teacher and I ended up loving it. And like seeing the comparisons and how closely they relate and how they're, obviously they're so different as well. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, look, look, if you have a good teacher, it makes all the difference. You know, you could, you know, good, a good teacher, you know, can convey any kind of information. It's, we, uh, 
I was gonna say a week from now, you might have to send us a written test. What we'll, we'll to study, study this. <laughs> no, that's a, that's the great thing about this. There's no test. Mm-hmm. You don't, you know, just, just, uh, just enjoy the knowledge. That's, that's all you have to do. That is the one regret though I have in life, like about playing hockey in college cap. I know you could probably attest to this, but seeing like all my friends study abroad and go to these soccer games in Europe and stuff, that shit looks so cool. That's something I definitely got to do. Like it's a bucket list thing. It is. It's actually, it's an amazing thing. Um, it's like I said before, it's, it's like a religion mm-hmm. and you know, you, you go to these soccer matches and you, it, it could be anywhere in Europe. Um, it could be in South America as well. You know, the fans have these chants and it's, and they get, they, they, they sing them to like this fever pitch and it's like a religious fervor. It's, it's, it's like an amazing experience. I've, I've never seen anything like it. And at least, you know, and what's funny is in this country, um, when you go to a sporting event, you know, you buy a ticket and, you know, you sit wherever you got your ticket. Everywhere else in the world, they will not sit opposing fans with the home team fans because there will be riots. Oh, I mean, they have they have guard. They have they have security guards separate. And sometimes they have huge fences separating them because, you know, there will be knockdown drag out fights. And they're often are outside the stadium, you know, after the game. What's really cool. I don't know if you know the uh, Texas State there, the Red River Showdown, Texas versus Oklahoma. No. Uh College football. I went to that game two years in a row when Cappy and I lived in Texas, but they do Oklahoma fans one side, Texas fans the other. So it's really cool. Like a a bird's eye view would be like red and orange, like on each side. It's really cool. I mean, that's something that like, if you think about it, I guess more so for like rivalry games, like an Islander Ranger game, if one side was Islanders, the other side was Rangers. That'd be so sick if they could somehow come up with a way to sell tickets where it's like, they could definitely do it. It's, it's done. It's done all over the world. They, they could definitely do it. It'd be a blast. Like, you know, for whatever, for the Yankee Met games, you know, that would be, it, it would be an easy and fun thing to do, but I'll tell you one funny thing. So what, uh, uh, for a couple of years, there was a kid on my, one, on, on my son's soccer team, whose dad was from Liverpool and they were here, you know, he was here working in some business for a couple of years. And he said, he, he, you know, he knew that like we had been to matches in, in, uh, in England. And he said, you know, it's so weird. You know, I've been, you know, I've been in America for like a year and, you know, I've been to baseball games. I've been to football games. I've been to hockey games. He's like, when Americans go to a sporting event, all they do is sit and eat. <laughs> yeah. You know, he, he's like, what is that? He's like, they're not you know, like when you go to a football match in England, nobody sits down. They're like people stand up the whole game. Are they wasted? Some of them are, <laughs> but, 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 it, but it's been a problem. Like in, in previous years, like in the 1980s, there was this huge problem with um, sort of football based gangs that would fight before and after the match. And there was a ton of violence and a lot of it was like alcohol fueled violence. Mm-hmm. And so they started to make rules where, you know, they wouldn't sell, you know, I mean, I think the last, you could still buy alcohol at, uh, at matches, but like, it's kind of, like, I don't think you could bring it to your seats. I think if you get, if you get, a, if you get beer, you have to drink it like sort of at chug it. <laughs> yeah, really. I, well, that's what people do. Yeah. That's totally, I mean, that's basically what people do, but because halftime is only 10 minutes mm-hmm. And that's actually just as an aside, that's another thing that I really like about soccer. So I don't watch football because it, there are just too many commercials. Mm-hmm. 
the game is so slow. Like I think I saw some statistic that said in your average football game um, or in your average football broadcast, something like 8% of the broadcast is the game. And the rest, and, and, and the rest of it is ads, replays, you know, analysis, stuff like that. And some people are really into that stuff, but I just really, I just want to watch the game. So like, I'm happy watching highlights. That's fine. But Mm -hmm. one of the really cool, one of the things I like about soccer is that there's like no timeouts, you know, they play two 45 minute halves and that's it. Yeah. You know, there's 10 minutes in between and you know, there are no commercials except during halftime. And it's just like, it's like a, it's like a better, more focused viewing experience. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. But I, I do want to steer away from sports for a second. I'm, there's something I'm super curious about just because it's such a unique thing, what you do as a profession. But I want to know, like, outside of Yiddish, as far as, like, your humor goes, like, what kind of shit are you into? Like, do you love, like, the Seth Rogen movies, Adam Sandler, Family Guy, South Park? You know, do, do you have any outside of Yiddish? I mean, yeah, of course. Um, you know, Family Guy is great. Uh-huh. Um, I always like The Simpsons. Futurama is great. I like that. What other funny? I love Seth Rogen is funny. You know, what, one funny thing, and obviously, I mean, maybe you experience this with your parents, but when your kids get into high school and start watching like the sort of current, you know, contemporary films or whatever, like you'll watch with them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'm if I hadn't had kids, I may not, I'm, I may never have seen, you know, Pineapple Express. <laughs> so I mean. I, I may never have seen, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I can't remember the name of the movie, but uh, super bad, super bad, that's, super that's bad, great. yeah, all, all, like all of them. <laughs> These movies are funny; they're great. And so, you know, I think that I mean, you'll find, I don't know, people my age sometimes they like them, sometimes they don't. But I'm, you know, I think I'm a very immature person, so I, I, these things always work out well for me. Have your kids shown you Big Mouth? Oh yeah, Big Mouth is great. I totally love Big Mouth. In fact, you know what? I think that I showed it to them. No uh, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was like when Big Mouth. Okay, one thing I really like animation, uh-huh. and um, Nick Kroll is uh, a, a friend of mine's brother-in-law. No way. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, he's a sports guy. Do you know Roger Bennett? He's uh, he's Men in Blazers. He has this soccer show on NBC. I don't know him, but maybe you can hook us up after. We can uh, have him come on. I could try. I mean, he's, he's, uh, I mean, he's like a super busy guy, but I'll, yeah, you know what? I'll try that. So whatever they're brothers-in-law. And actually one funny thing is they, they collaborated in a book. I want to say like 10 or 15 years ago called Bar Mitzvah Disco. And the book, they had people like, it was all based on like this online request that they made that people who, who got Bar Mitzvah in the late seventies and early eighties send them photos of their bar mitzvah parties in all these like because this is like the disco era and they have all of these like sort of saturday night fever ridiculous clothes weird haircuts you know obviously stuff that's like kind of old-fashioned and, and the photos are really funny so they started getting all the stuff and they they wound up nick kroll and, and this guy roger Brenner wound up you know creating writing a book about this um you know reprinting all these photos of all these you know that all these people sent them and it's this weird kind of jewish uh, connection with uh, with them, but whatever. Nick Kroll, he created Big yeah. Mouth, and it's a great show. It's really it's hilarious. I really mm-hmm. like that show. He's a genius. My my dad, I had it on TV in the living room for like two minutes one day, and my dad's like, "Why is there an animated talking vagina on, on the TV?" <laughs> <laughs> that's that's why animation is so great 
because you could do anything. Because vaginas in real life don't speak. <laughs> but you know what? You hope they don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. <laughs> sorry. But, sorry. I got no, a little sure there. <laughs> right. So, so if you, uh, if you had that, you'd be, you know, I think it would be something that you'd run away from. Definitely. But yeah, it's definitely an awesome show. And that's why, like I said, that's why animation is amazing because you could literally do whatever you want. You know, you can do anything. Also, another, this isn't animation, but like another humor guy that I'm really into is Eric Andre. Oh, he's great. Uh, I love Eric Andre. He's so funny. His show was so good. He's great. I love that, the gif of him, like getting, trying to get into the White House. It's used all the time on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's yeah. so funny. He's also a Jewish comedian. He's Jewish? Yeah, his his uh, his mom is Jewish. His dad is Haitian. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's another guy. We'll he does he does bits about it. it. Like if you if you watch his um, like if you watch his stuff, he has bits about uh, you know like growing up. I think grow he grew up in Boca. That's where Cappy is. That's where Justin is right now. Yeah, right. So, Cap go knock on his parents' house. Come <laughs> yeah, we'll see. He must be in yeah, the find, 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 it, find his parents. Actually, that was a funny thing that the Yiddish press used to do. So in like the twenties and thirties, there were a lot of Jewish boxers. And so the Yiddish journalists, um, you know, because these boxers were so famous, generally, they couldn't really access them. They couldn't get access to these boxers. So what they would do is because they were the Yiddish press that all their, all their parents were immigrants. So they would go into Brooklyn or to the Lower East Side, whatever, and they would find their parents. And you'd see this headline in the Yiddish newspaper, you know, interview with Benny Leonard's mother. You know, Benny Leonard was like a famous lightweight in the 1920s. So, so I feel like that was that would be the access. So this would be the same thing as just Justin tracked down Eric Andre's parents in, in Boca. That would be, uh, you know, a, like sort of a great Jewish journalistic tradition. Yeah, that would be, cool. be a great surprise. <laughs> we have we actually haven't even mentioned your book yet. We've had you on for like forty minutes, and we haven't even talked about Bad Rabbi and other strange but true stories. So I mean, can you just like kind of dive into what motivated you to write it? Um, you know, just kind of everything that led up to that book and just what it felt like to have people read your writing. The book was kind of an accident. I was researching my, I was doing research for my dissertation, uh, which was on cartoons of the Yiddish press. And one of the things I discovered when I was doing my research is um, that the cartoons that I was looking for were on, were only in the Friday papers in Warsaw. So what that meant was, and I'm doing, I was doing research using the microfilm which is, I, don't, I can't imagine that you guys have ever used microfilm. Never even heard of it. It's sort of, yeah, it's like a technology that is, I mean, it's still in use, but I think that most people now, like most like, what most people need is on the internet now. So you don't really need this. But basically microfilm is long reels of 35 millimeter film. Um, do you guys remember film or you, this is not part of your life, like camera film? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yes. Oh, I yeah. don't know. You know, there's like disposable cameras that like people our age use for like, <laughs> right. So, but so before disposable cameras are like at, at the same time as disposable cameras, people had like more expensive cameras where they would buy these little cartridges of film that would, you know, you would, you'd put it in the, in the, in the camera and it would, the camera would wind up the film. You, you take a picture and the light exposes the image onto the film. Then you go and you get it developed and they print pictures. So your parents probably have all these printed pictures that, you know, in some closet that nobody ever looks at. Um, and they're all of you as a baby or, you know, something like that. So microfilm was a way to preserve documents uh, on this film, like the film lasts for a really long time. So for people who work in libraries, 
they wanted to be able to preserve this stuff on that was on paper that was that was yellowing and crumbling and you know getting getting destroyed it was disintegrating so they would just take pictures of a page of every single uh, of, of a newspaper like every single page of, of a newspaper for years and years and years they would take a photo of it so you have these law these reels of you know film it would be like hundreds and hundreds of feet of film with photographs of newspaper pages so like that's how i'm doing my research i guess it's really this sort of outmoded and primitive technology but that you know i'm an old person so that's what i was left with how old are so, you i'm 55 i was gonna say you don't seem that old you keep saying you're so old i said i'm really immature that's, i guess yeah that's how that works so um i did just i had a hip replacement six months ago so you're younger again Right. So yeah, so that's an indication that I'm a, you know, I'm a genuinely old person. So um, when I was looking at this microfilm, like basically that you, you would sit at this machine with a big screen and you, you wind these films onto these, onto these spools and you turn the spool and it, like it runs the film through it and you just go page by page. And so, like I said, there was no, like the, 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 what I needed was only in the Friday paper. So that means I didn't have to look at a whole week of material, I could just jump from Friday to Friday. So there's like a button that you press to make it go faster. So I would hit the button and the, the, the reels would spin and it would, the film would jump and hopefully I would like wind up on a Friday. I didn't always. So one time the film went further than it was supposed to and I wound up on a Sunday. But the article in front of my face had, had a headline that said, two why, it, it said, Hasidic Jews, two wives, flaming fists, and the police. And I was like, okay, that sounds kind of interesting. I'll mm-hmm. read this article. And it turned out to be about this guy in Warsaw, this Hasidic guy who uh, fell in love with his wife's best friend, secretly married her, set her up in an apartment outside of town, and shuttled between the two women telling the first wife he was away on business when he was visiting the second wife. So the neighbors of the first wife figured out what was going on. And they told his older brother, who was this fanatically religious Hasidic guy. And his older brother arranged for a hearing in the Warsaw rabbinical court. And he physically dragged his brother there. When they got there, both women were waiting along with a panel of three rabbis and about 30 members of his first wife's family. So the rabbis are told the situation. They rule that he has to divorce both women, which they do on the spot. They write out writs of divorce. The guy signs them. He gives them to the women. The women hand them back to the rabbis, making the, 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 the Jewish divorce official. And when that happens, his older brother runs over to him, punches him in the face. The 30 members of the first wife's family jump on the second wife and begin beating the shit out of her. The rabbis run out of the room and call the police who come and arrest everybody and take, a, take, them, all to, take them all to jail. So that's the story. I read this story yeah. and I, I'm sitting in front of this microphone reader and I'm like, wow. This is an incredible story. I've never read anything like this. You know, I've been in graduate school for, you know, three years. I've read thousands of pages of Jewish history books. I've sat in hundreds of hours of lectures. I've never heard of this. 
this is intense. This is crazy. I wonder if there are more like this. So from that point on, when I was going through the microfilms, instead of like jumping from Friday to Friday, I scrolled really slowly, like looking for headlines and just making copies. I would make photocopies of the headlines of like these wild, scandalous, violent stories, like in the Warsaw Rabbinical Court, on the streets, you know, all kinds of things. And I found, you know, just by reading these old Yiddish newspapers, I found this, you know, element of Jewish life that historians had totally ignored. You know, my grandparents didn't tell me about it. And it was, it, there was this like real critical mass of information here of like an element in Jewish society that was unlike anything I'd ever read before. And I thought I got to, I have to do something with this. And so I began to collect all these stories and, you know, some of them were really short, like the story I just told you about. And then mm -hmm. others had legs. Others were like long drawn out scandals. Like one of the stories uh, in the book is about a, a, an episode that took place on the Lower East Side of New York uh, in 1906, where in June 1906, um, there was this tonsillitis epidemic in the public schools, especially in the, among Jews on the Lower East Side. And so the school board said, you know, we have to do something about this. We have to provide uh, tonsillectomies to these kids because they keep getting sick. And so they sent home permission slips with all of these Jewish kids on the Lower East Side and, you know, some of them probably threw them away. Some of them signed them themselves and some of them gave them to their parents and said, sign them. But their parents didn't know English. The permission slips weren't in Yiddish. They were in English. And all the parents, they mostly just spoke Yiddish. Mm -hmm. And so in June 19, 1906, the, board of, the New York City Board of Ed brings doctors to a bunch of schools in the Lower East Side and they take kids' tonsils out which is insane. Yeah. That's... Like that's just not normal. But when you have like this, you know, it's a, obviously society was very different then than it is now. And you also have this sort of immigrant community that doesn't communicate well with, you know, the authorities, they just sort of went ahead and did it. And so kids came home from school, like drooling blood and their parents were like, what happened to you? And, you know, they said, Oh, you know, doctors came to school today and, and cut our throats and the parents started freaking out in part because a month before in Poland in Bialystok there was a series of massive pogroms where hundreds of Jews had been murdered and that was like the story of the day in the in the Yiddish papers in New York like they were because these people all still had relatives there and so they thought this is a pogrom happening in New York so the next day, something like 50,000 mothers besieged the New York City public schools on the Lower East Side demanding to see their children. Like there were, it was like, a, it was like a riot of Jewish mothers. And it was, you know, this incredible story that, you know, historians didn't talk about. No one, no one's ever, you know, no one heard about it. And I found it just by accident because I was like looking through, looking at some microfilm of an old Yiddish newspaper. And it just, it, it, like all of this, like created a window on Jewish life that was so interesting and so compelling, you know, and it was like, like I told you before that I hated Hebrew school. Mm -hmm. If they would have told me these stories in Hebrew school, I would have loved it. Like it was so like, it's like, it's so much more interesting. It's like so much more real life.
Um, and it's so much, so much part of like the immigrant experience that everybody tried to hide. And, you know, everyone was kind of embarrassed about, but to me, you know, when I read this stuff, I was like, wow, this, this is just, you know, these are this, this is this immigrant community who, you know, was forced into the situation who um, doesn't get on well with the authorities. There are also lots of problems with the police on the Lower East Side. The police used to come, uh, you know, and beat the shit out of Jews, you know, in a, in a similar way to, you know, the way that they react to black people today, you know, but, you know, the Jews were the minority then, you know, Jews assimilated and acculturated. So it's different for them now, but it was a way to relate to, you know, what it's like to be a minority community, you know, in a way that just doesn't exist today. So that was just another aspect to all of this. And the stories were just, you know, really fun also. Have you heard of the film, The Starfish by any chance? Uh-uh, no. Okay, so we had a guest on Tyler Gilden, who was like a film producer, filmmaker, and he interviewed his grandpa, whose name happened to be Herb Gilden, who was a German Jewish boy that escaped Nazi Germany and went to Sweden to live with like a random family. And then this film kind of shows his family reuniting again, you know, several decades later, I think it was in Brooklyn, I might be mistaking there. But I think it's a film that you'd find super interesting because they have so much film and all these books and pictures that they went back and found from, you know, Herb's childhood, which was, you know, 70 years prior. And it's crazy that they were able to, you know, without social media, without phones, you know, that kind of world, how they just reunited a family after, you know, like, like, think about it. Like I was talking to my dad and it's crazy how, you know, our parents like get nervous sending us on a train to New York city from Long Island when we're 15 and, you know, his parents had to ship him off to Sweden when he was 12 and said, sayonara, like, Go live your life, right. you know? I mean, that's the, that's the way it was. I mean, you know, like when, when people left, you know, Poland or Russia or Romania or wherever and went to the United States, you know, that was often the last time they saw their parents yeah. or their relatives or their friends. They, they, they literally never saw them again. And, you know, you could write letters, you know, but letters took like a month to get there. And so like communication is much slower. It's really, it's so different than it is today. And so what's really interesting at the place where I work, which is this huge archive of, uh, of Jewish historical materials, you have all of this correspondence, all of these letters between people and letters are such an, like they're such an important part of life that, you know, just has, it just disappeared. I mean, now everything is like instantaneous, mm-hmm. you know, it's whether it's just texting or Snapchat or whatever. And it's, it's, and, and, and I don't know, I think people tend not to save, you know, their, Obviously, Snapchat, you can't save it unless you screenshot it. But, um, you know, <laughs> look at you, know, 55, and you know that. That's pretty impressive. Well, I have kids. I've, I've yeah. kids. So, My dad wouldn't know that. <laughs> I have kids because it's, it's always like, oh, let me see that photo. Oh, it's gone. You know, it's like, mm. uh, you know, like, so I'm like, screenshot, screenshot that. <laughs> um, you know, because invariably, like, you're, you know, you're, when kids are in high school, their friends are always doing stupid shit. You, you mm-hmm. kind of want to see that, you know, it's, so it's, it's, if, if you don't screenshot it, it's lost forever. But like, you know, people don't save their emails. They don't save their texts. Um, it's not something that like is important to them, but when you had a letter, you know, from your mother, from the old country, you know, that's all you had. You just had the letter. You didn't have her, you know, maybe you had a photograph. This is also a time when, you know, there were very few photographs of people. Um, you know, you might be lucky to have one or two photographs of yourself at all, you know, as a child yeah. or, you know, and so now like photographs, people, you know, take selfies every 10 seconds. 
I'm going to, I'm going to text you when we're done recording to, to watch that film. It's 40 minutes on, on, uh, I think Amazon or Apple TV. I think. All right, really cool. Yeah. It. I'll definitely check it out. Yeah. It's, it's awesome. I can even connect you with Tyler after, if you want to like talk to him about how it was made or whatever, maybe he can write a story. Yeah. yeah. Let, you know, let me see the movie. And, um, you know, I, I mean, where, where I work, we have public programs. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe he's worth interviewing, you know, for, you know, for our, you know, our audience, our audience yeah. is like obviously a much older audience, but uh, you know, yeah, that would be cool. That'd be really cool. Um, so I, I do want to get into a little segment that we do on our podcast called the Matzo Ball Minute. Matzo, Just a couple matzo, of quick hitter matzo. questions for you. If you want to prepare, get your mind right here. How, how can I prepare for, for uh, you know, the speed round? I guess, yeah. So let's, let's just start it off. Favorite author of all time. Oh, okay. So this is a weird thing about <laughs> me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> the super weird thing about me. I'm not into favorites. Okay. So, but I'll do it. But I have to, so when I, when my, when my son was in nursery school, he came home one day and he was like, what's your favorite color? You know, what's your favorite this? What's your favorite that? I'm like, who gives a shit? I mean, I didn't say that to him then, but I was like, <laughs> like you know, I was like, you don't have to have a favorite color. You don't have to have a favorite this, you know, a favorite that. Um, but basically what I always say about this is I have, you know, writers or musicians or whatever who I like a lot. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not willing to go with favorite, but do it. It's fine. Just, just give us a name. Give us one I'll, name. I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So, for now, Luke Sant. I haven't heard of him, but okay. So Luke Sant is um, a journalist who um, is originally from Belgium, but grew up in New York, and he wrote this incredible book that was really influential for me called, called uh, "Low Life: The Lures and Snares of Old New York," and it's all about um, like street gangs and criminals and sort of the the kind of underworld in New York city in the late 19th century. And in a way it's like, you could see, like if you think about my book and the things that I'm interested in, you could see the kind of influence that this guy had on me. He's also an absolutely incredible writer. Mm-hmm. So that's like, that's also something I really enjoy. Like if someone's a great writer, um, you know, they could just string words together in, in an amazing way. It just makes the reading so much better. Kind of leads into the next question, though. So, who is your hero? Is he your hero as well? Uh, I don't know. I think there are no heroes, especially really? now. Yeah, um, everybody sucks. <laughs> no, no, that's. I, I mean, no, they're 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 heroes. They're like good people. Not um, even Captain America. No. <laughs> well, I, I've seen it on your Twitter that you you know you're you're quite fond of you know shitting on people. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's what Twitter is for. Yeah, that's what it's for. I'm, that's what I, mean, it's for. Not, I mean, I would say that I'm not really like that in real life, but yeah. but you're uh, very sweetheart. But yeah, but like you know, Twitter is Twitter is for you know taking a giant dump on everybody. That's, <laughs> that's, what, that's what you do on Twitter. Yeah. Um, let's see who, who a hero. What do I have any heroes? This is good. This is like another thing you, you guys aren't going to know. Zuni Maud <laughs> and Yossel Cutler. Well, maybe the people listening will know. They're not going to know. No, okay. nobody knows. These guys were two super weird artists and performers who were like active in the Yiddish community in, in like the 20s and 30s. They were just, they did also, they were cartoonists. They did all kinds, they did everything in Yiddish. They were just, they did, they, they did all kinds of really amazing creative projects. Um, you know, and it's just one, it's like just another one of the things that I've talked about before that goes, that disappears from history. And, you know, you need like, you need somebody to try to resurrect them 
you know, for a, for a modern audience. Mm-hmm. That went, that went right over my head. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I mean, I guess I could try someone who's, who is, who is good. To Nick Kroll. What? <laughs> Nick Kroll. I mean, I would say he's my hero. I mean, I love his work. <laughs> I definitely like his work, but he's, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how heroic Nick Kroll is. Uh, <laughs> who, who would be a good hero? I don't know. That's all right. That's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, no, like, I'll stick with there are no heroes. No heroes. I love right. it. Eddie, most famous Jew of all time, in your opinion? Wow, that's that's a really hard question because the most famous Jew of all time is, of course, Jesus. Jesus, yep. Um, okay. But I, I do other people say that? Uh, we, I don't know if we've no, asked that. No, before. we haven't asked that. Yeah. Okay, so, so, I mean, you know, Jesus, of course, is like a lame Jew. Like, like as far as Jews go, like he's not a, he's not a good candidate for that sort of thing. He's no but, Eric Andre. So yeah, Eric Andre, super famous, awesome Jew. He could be a hero. You know what? <laughs> let me go back. Let me let me let me go back a bit. Eric Andre, hero. That's good. Um, good you know, good. other famous Jews. And also, like it depends on the time period. So um, there, in the 1920s, there was this guy named Zisha Breitbart. No relation to you know the weirdo fascist Breitbart news service. But this guy he was even know who that was. Okay, good. That's good. It's good. Don't know what that is. <laughs> so um so Zisha Breitbart was this circus performer, this Jewish circus performer who was born in Lodz, Poland, and became in the ni- early 19th, first half of the 1920s, was the most famous Jew in the world. He had this wild strongman act where he would like bend iron bars he would lie in a bed of bed of nails and have this gigantic cone placed on him and guys would get they would they would ride on motorcycles around the top of the cone it was this crazy like he would bite chains with his teeth he was like this enormously famous person so like if you ask someone from the 1920s who's the most famous jew in the world they would say zisha breitbart in fact there are articles in yiddish newspapers then that say Zisha Breitbart is more famous than Albert Einstein. Now, of course, everybody knows Albert Einstein today because his work has, it's still important. It still has resonance. But um, Zisha Breitbart, he was like a circus performer who was like momentarily very famous, but nobody's ever heard of him today because that's the, that's the sort of ephemeral stuff that just disappears. Like that's, that's the stuff that I like to work on that just, totally disappears and then there are other people like i mentioned before benny leonard he was this really famous you know lightweight boxer from the 1920s he was hugely famous um you know only boxing you know specialists have heard of him today but what interesting thing about him is like when you look at lists of like the all-time greatest boxers he's always on it Mm -hmm. he was like world-renowned so uh, whatever. So like, you know, when you ask who the most famous Jew, it's, it's always like what time period? I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. Like, I do all these digressions. I'm like, I was going to say the, the, the quick, the quick hitter thing didn't really. Uh... Yeah. There's no quick hitting. There's no. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. All right, well, this one could be a quick hitter for you. Last one. Mort Goldman or Kyle Broflovsky? Kyle Broflovsky. Yeah. <laughs> that one's one. easy. Obviously. Come on. That's uh... although, you know, Mort has his charms. <laughs> let's get let's digress digress <laughs> you know he definitely has his charms that's uh, he's he's a funny character but you know kyle come on you got to go with kyle yeah 100 but we okay, got one sorry. Oh, yeah no you're good we, we got one final question for you 
Um, something that I know you'll definitely digress, but if, if you can go back and talk to the 15 year old version of yourself, what kind of advice would you give them? Oh, 15 year old version of myself. Be less of a dick. Oh, I didn't see it going that way. Like, be, <laughs> I, I was, I was a very obnoxious kid, not always, but often. And so don't be a dick. Be nice. <laughs> I mean, to yeah. That's you know, even, even, even people that you, you know, you, you think you might not like be nice to those people. That's great advice. Don't be a dick. <laughs> that's, that's all you need. Jordan Sweet. But uh, Eddie, we want to thank you so much. I mean, you're awesome. Definitely want to keep in touch. And I, I know uh, we'll talk about the starfish after. I think that'd be great. That'd be awesome to connect you and Tyler. Okay. As long as you don't talk about the chocolate starfish. What's that? Oh, my, Google it. Okay. I'll Google it. But yeah, thank you so much. You're awesome. Um, uh, you guys too. I really, I really enjoyed this. This was fun. We appreciate it. What a great interview with Eddie Portnoy. We really hope you guys enjoyed this one. Kind of a different feel, kind of a different vibe too. He was just an all-around great guy. He's a hundred times smarter than any anybody I know. I mean, he just sounds like such an intelligent guy talking to him and speaking with him. Um, I kind of wish we had a little bit longer. Just, just want to like ask him about my Jewish heritage, to be honest with you, because I feel like he would know everything. But don't chirp this guy on Twitter. I'll tell you that right now. He's going to get <laughs> right at you. Um, but it was great. What do you think, Johnny? Yeah, he's awesome. I mean, definitely a different one for us. We haven't really had someone who's like a Jewish studies or Yiddish studies expert or anything in that sense. Since we're, you know, we're not the most religious or uh, whatever you want to say kind of Jews, yeah. but um, it was kind of nice just to like learn a lot. Like that was more so a, a lesson for us and hopefully for the listeners, a lesson for you guys. Um, the Rangers just tied it, by the way. Chris Kreider, let's go. Yeah, no, Eddie's awesome. And I'm really happy that we can just like have him as a friend. Like I've been texting with him a little bit throughout the week just because he loved talking to us and he was so happy, which yeah. is awesome. And that's like the best part about this podcast is that the people enjoy talking to us. So hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Um, you know, we want to thank Eddie once again. He's the man. So yeah, well, and I'm sure you guys saw the boomerang. We'll post a, a couple of video. Uh, we'll post a video of, of the interview, but God, did that guy have some gorgeous, gorgeous flow. I mean, I, I feel like all the guys from like that generation, they all had like the mullets. Like my dad still got the nice flow. Like if you could still grow it, you're going to just grow it out and flaunt it. Yeah, not my dad. <laughs> yeah, no, no, your dad, those years are in the past. He's got the cul-de-sac. <laughs> you know that hairstyle, the hair around or whatever, and just the middle? bald hey it's not all about the hair your dad's got the personality he's a he's a beaut but he is he is one attractive young man he is attractive so young i hope he likes that <laughs> he will he will i do want to take a second though to talk about one of our sponsors mindset wellness cbd like i always say they're a brand new full spectrum cbd company infused with terpenes and vitamins that can provide all natural anxiety relief we talk about the happy gummies the focus gummies they got a lot of different mindsets that you know, you can use to control your own mindset, but they're also coming out with a new product that I don't want to say right now, but go to Mindset Wellness CBD on Instagram, check out their page and stay tuned for the new product. Use our code LOCKUP for 10% off plus free shipping. And once again, check out their Instagram at Mindset Wellness CBD. Yeah, I do want to give a quick shout out to you, Johnny. Congrats to Mercyhurst, blah, blah, blah. Quick overtime win last night. Not a big deal, but um, I'm pretty, yeah, you know, RMU was on a six-game winning streak. So that's pretty big for Mercyhurst. Um, I did watch the game. Um, that goalie uh, for Mercyhurst was a stud. He had like 43 shots, so shout out to him. Um, and that was the first time Mercyhurst and Robin Morris has met, I think, since the uh, the ceiling fell in the rink when I played you. So, <laughs> no, I think we, we beat you guys the next time we, we played you, so. 
Uh, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe it's two two game <laughs> heater for the, for the Lakers against Robert Morris. <laughs> two two and nine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I uh, I do want to give a shout out to Gorg. Oh, I always fuck up his name. Georgi Fedjalov, my boy. I'm more serious for the overtime winner. Um, is he Russian? Yeah, he is Russian, but he's the cutest guy. I love him. He's the best. <laughs> but I, but I, the what's up? I said you think everybody's the cutest. Well, no, Georgi is adorable. He's really cute. Right. I love him. He was my he was my stallmate. Uh, or no, he wasn't. Was he? Yeah, he was. He was my stallmate. He was a freshman last year, and I was a senior. He was my stallmate. But uh, that wraps it up for this episode. Stay tuned. We got another great one coming next week. Enjoy your weekend. And Cappy, sign off. Yep, that's it. Mazel tov, everybody. Thanks for listening. Talk with me now, baby.